Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Good day, friends. Welcome to Locked on ACC, the first program of March, March 2nd, 2020. I'm Brian Wilmer. I'm your host. I am from FB Schedules and College Hoops Digest. You can follow the program on Twitter at Locked on ACC. Also, email us, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. If you want to contact me, if you want to follow me, however you want to do that, I am at Sports Matters on Twitter. Big news day today as we recap the end of the basketball weekend. Crazy one that it was. And then some news coming down before we stepped into the lab this afternoon from Ken Sugiero, the AJC. He states, Georgia Tech has withdrawn its appeal with the NCAA for its one-year postseason ban and will not play in the ACC tournament beginning later in the month in Greensboro. The team was informed earlier this afternoon. The school will continue its appeals of recruiting restrictions. While the ban was put in place in September, Tech was eligible to compete in this year's postseason since it was under appeal. By NCAA rules, sanctions under appeal can't be enforced while the appeal is still being processed. By withdrawing the penalty and accepting it for this season, Tech will go into the 2020-21 season at no risk for missing out on the 2021 postseason. While Tech officials have believed the penalties were excessive, schools appealing penalties have had little success in getting them overturned. Quote, I support the decision of our administration to withdraw the appeal of the competition penalty, and I'm happy to know that we'll have this penalty behind us as we go into 2020-21, Tech coach Josh Pastner said. Like our administration, I'm sad for our two seniors who won't have the opportunity to participate in the postseason in their final year. Close quote. In a statement, Athletic Director Todd Stansberry said it was in the best interest of the team to drop the appeal and remove the cloud of a potential postseason ban from hanging over our team as we move into next season and beyond. Stansberry added that the most difficult part of the decision was knowing that it meant seniors Sambari Phillips and James Banks will not be able to play in the postseason to finish their Yellow Jacket careers. Tech has two regular season games remaining, including Wednesday night at home against Pittsburgh. No word yet on how that's going to affect Tuesday in Greensboro as we've come to know it but we'll get an updated bracket from the ACC most likely. As of press time, though, nothing's been made available to us. We mentioned it was a big weekend in basketball, and we should start in what was the epicenter of basketball over the weekend, Charlottesville, Virginia, with a big-time win over Duke, 52-50. They had more losses, did Virginia, between January 7th and 16th than they've had since. They lost three games in that span have lost two since. Big victory for Virginia, though. We'll start with what Coach K had to say about that game. You guys came in here averaging 83 points. Could you have fathomed scoring 50? No, no. That, yeah, because they, they they can control tempo. And uh, you're not going to have a high-scoring game against them. So they didn't have a high-scoring game against us either. I mean, both teams play great defense. This wasn't one team played better defense than the other. and uh, But that's... That's the hard-fought type of game they play all the time. So that's you know that, that experience of playing in that level of game, you know, it helps them. I mean, that's I think why they've won so many of these games recently. Well, they've done it for a long time, but recently, like one possession games, because they're accustomed to how important every possession is. Mike, did you think? Did you think your ability to get the ball out of Clark's hands, bringing the ball up court, took them out of their offense? Because it looked like it did. Yeah, I thought it helped us. I thought our game plan defensively was good. and It forced 
a lot of air guys to be ball handlers. And uh, it, we weren't we weren't thinking we're going to be able to take it away from anybody, but it it meant that they couldn't run their offense as many times as you know. You took time off the clock. It uh, put the ball in not their decision makers' hands. And uh, but they handled it. You know they handled it well. But I, I, our defense, I'm I'm pleased with what we did. And and we got the ball to Vern. You know, right there at the end, Trey made a great pass, and they, you know, they made a great play to stop a, a winning basket. I mean, that's how close the game is. Some interesting thoughts there from Coach K. I have a lot more to say about what Coach K said this weekend. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's program. That should intrigue you. But an observation that he had there about Kihei Clark, and there's a lot more I could go into with Kihei Clark. Uh, he's a guy who last year had three NBA talents to set up on offense, to facilitate. This year, likely not that same group of three NBA talents on this roster, so he's had to take on more of a role, and he's gone from just that facilitator to a key cog in that offense. We can talk a lot more about that on a less packed program, but for now, let's hear from Coach Tony Bennett and his thoughts on Saturday's contest. Uh, let me ask you about the Durham resident on your team. What about Jay Huff's performance, particularly the... 10 block shots and nine rebounds. Yeah. Well, first, I got to tell you, it made my heart smile to see Coach Holland, Holland sitting across the court and his wife. I just, there was a, I don't even know if he saw me, but I looked, I looked at him. It was kind of late, five or six minutes, and I saw that, and I just, it was a timeout, and I just looked at him and I smiled, and I thought of all he's done for this program. I thought of my dad, and uh, I saw his wife, and it was just, it was a sweet moment. Saw Ralph there. So, anyways, to answer your question about Jay, it was really cool because, you know, we, we come into the locker room and, and Bach told me, hey, Jay, Jay just had 10 blocks. So we got a little door knocker and I said, hey, they didn't. I said, Bach, knock the door knocker 10 times. So he knocks it 10 times. And I said, you know what that was for? I said, that was 10 blocks by Jay Huff. He had 10 and everyone went crazy in the locker room. And then they calmed down and I said, now the bad news. I said, Ralph Sampson had 12. <laughs> so you're, you're two behind. But um, yeah, really, really happy for Jay. You know, when you see young men, um, you know, where he's from and the game he had. And, and we needed everything he brought. He was in foul trouble and everything everyone brought. But what a, what a, um, what long timing and length and uh, we needed it all. It's hard to say that this is a rare thing coming off of a national championship, right? But it, you guys have done this time and time and time again all season long. Those plays down the stretch, what, what do you feel like went into your guys still being able to come through in the clutch? Is it just because they've done it so much, or did you? What did you see from your team today? Well, we've been in those spots a lot. You have to make plays defensively as much as offensively, and they were both made. Um, you know, again, guys, whether it was a block at the rim, and you know, Duke is so good defensively. I, I tell you, we, I don't. We were talking the way up. I don't know if we could have found any more points in the 52. They make it so hard with their pressure, and uh, I, I'm so impressed with how hard they work defensively. But. But um, certainly a credit to, you know, making plays and being in those spots a lot. I, I think it does help. And, um, again, very fortunate and thankful. But whether it was Kihei, Jay, Mamadi, boy, I tell you, Mamadi really made some nice plays too. And he at times allowed us to not double. We all were going on um, Kerry, who's a load, and, and Mamadi guarded him one-on-one -on -one at times. And just he had that look in his eyes. And so when Mamadi is guarding like that and Jay is protecting the rim, uh, that's a – formidable to a back line. So really good for a front court. That's the topic I want to ask you about, yeah. defending Kerry and, and how well 
uh, those two guys, and you mentioned not having to double the entire game. What did you think of uh, the effort you got there defensively against him? Terrific. I mean, he's he's such an excellent player and well-schooled, and he's hard to handle. But uh, I, I thought, you know, I'll watch the tape. I thought we did a, a really good job. There was a few times maybe we um, we weren't perfect, but overall I thought we defended the way we had to the interior. Um, a couple times, Trey Jones, you know, I just had visions of his brother when he's rising up and making those threes, and Kihei didn't, you know, inch up enough on him to bother him on a couple of those threes that he hit. And I remember his brother did it to us, um, just daggers back a few years ago. And I really had that thought when I saw it. I'm like, what, what is going on with this family? Um, but, um, but they're winners and they're special. And um, so, but uh, overall, yeah, we, we guarded the way we needed to and made enough plays. Tony, the strategy not to have Kihei bring up the ball for parts of the game. Was that, that was not a strategy. Was that was Duke's strategy, and okay. they executed it very well. Okay, they, um, they so, no, but we just, when they did, oh, go ahead and finish uh, your question. Just say, you know, how, how did you think your guys handled, handled that, and how did Kihei handle that? Uh, it, it rattled us a little bit, and some teams have done that before, Florida State in particular. And I thought it rattled us at times. And then we got a little better, and we just tried to get into stuff. And we just had Kihei trying to set a ball screen to relieve some pressure. But they did a good job. That was smart on their part to either, you know, if he didn't bring it in, you know, if he didn't take it out when he got it, they'd double him and get out of his hands. And then if he entered the ball, they wouldn't let him get it back. So it put pressure on us and had some, some turnovers that were costly, but uh, then made enough plays. And it was couple times a little scary, but that was their their um, execution of making it hard for us. Tony, it might not have been, well, it wasn't his best shooting game, but Mamadi seemed to have really good awareness when he had a mismatch. Yeah, absolutely. And how important was that for him to Huge. get those key buckets? You know, our sideline out of bounds or underneath out of bounds, he kind of waited. And you're right, he had great um, feel, and then he, he sort of, back dribble the guy down and got the shot and then the play he made late um and you know obviously there's a lot of contact but i really like that and again I, I i have to say how much i liked him defending and how tough he was that way but he took advantages of those mismatches that's tough when they're switching off ball screens and and duke can do that with their personnel but um he was um he was locked in that way and he still had a couple of threes but you're right he, he left early some some bunnies or missed some that he usually makes but um he was terrific Words there from Tony Bennett talking about Virginia Duke Saturday night. A bunch to get into just with his thoughts and with several other things around that game. So let's go ahead and take the first break of the program. We'll come back, go a little more in-depth into that game. Also talk about another big game this weekend, Clemson and Florida State, and much, much more. This is Locked on ACC. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Locked on ACC. March 2nd, 2020, talking Virginia Duke, get a little more into that than advance. A couple of things that Tony said in that last bit of audio, and again, there's much more to break down. I could listen to David Teal ask questions all day. I could listen to Tony Bennett answer questions all day. But a couple of things to note here. First of all, he talked about defending well and making enough plays. Trey Jones, Vernon Carey had 34 of Duke's 50, which is a significant number. There was some question after the game about whether or not Coach K was upset about not finding a third consistent scoring option. And he mentioned, and you won't hear it here, but he mentioned that they needed to find more than just a third scoring option. 
Cassius Stanley and Wendell Moore, this is big when you look at how UVA defended. You talk about their defense and how well they did. Stanley and Moore combined to go two for 14 from the floor. They scored just six combined points. Stanley and Moore have been big-time options for Duke. And sure, you don't like seeing Trey Jones and Vernon Carey get 34. But when you can limit those two to six points, that's a significant job of help defense. Carey had another double-double, 17 points, 10 boards. Duke shot just 30.5% from the field. Four of 17 from three for 23.5%. That's a large defensive success for UVA. Also, if you consider, UVA had 15 turnovers and Duke got just three points off of those 15 turnovers. 15 turnovers leading to three points. Meanwhile, Virginia made Duke cough it up 10 times, led to 10 points off of turnovers for the Hoos. Jay Huff, just one board away from a triple-double, 15 points, 10 blocks, 9 rebounds for the big man from Durham. You also heard the question from David about Mamadi Diakite, just 5 of 13 from the floor, but he had 14 points, hauled in 5 boards, got a block, got a steal. Solid game for Diakite. Braxton Key also in double figures. He was 6 of 11 from the floor. He had 14. Virginia shot 42% from the field, just 30 from three, but they only attempted 10 three-pointers. They were 7 of 10 from the line for Virginia. Now, Virginia still has, this is crazy to ponder, but Virginia still has the possibility of an inside straight to win the ACC. I don't think they will, But the fact that they would even have a possibility of doing that at this stage in the season, especially considering where they were just a little over a month ago. Crazy. And I'll say very simply, for all of you who still are calling yourselves bracketologists, and still, as I said the other day, screaming into the ether, Virginia's still a bubble team! No. No, they're not. Moving along... Let's head to Clemson in Florida State, where the Tigers get a 70-69 victory on an Alamir Dawes bucket at the buzzer. Our friend Justin Mathis was on site. He sent along some of the thoughts from Brad Brownell, from Leonard Hamilton, and from some of the players. Let's hear first from Coach Brad Brownell of Clemson. Brad, what's going through your head Go get to the basket. I just was screaming, get to the basket, get to the basket, get to the basket. I think I said it three times because, you know, he's been known to stop and shoot a three or shoot a pull up or something. You know, in an open court like that, that's our best chance to try to get to the rim against their kind of talent, their kind of athletes, their kind of defensive uh, team. They're they're incredibly hard to play against. Um, And so, you know, if we could get it out quick, we kind of talked about that uh, in the timeout or in the scrum when it was whose ball is it going to be. I told them if they make a basket, get it out and we're going. And uh, if I don't like what I see, I'll call timeout at half court. But we're not calling a timeout, you know, um, unless it would have been a second or two left um, right away. So he we got it into him and he went to the basket and made a, a tough play. Like I just talked on the radio about we, we talked this week about the importance of layups because we gave up some layups to Georgia Tech and we had some layups that we missed. And layups at this level are hard shots. They're not wide-open layups. They're physical layups. They're 
wrong foot layups. They're off two feet when you're getting hit layups. And uh, like the shot Al made to, to win the game was not an easy layup. I think he switched. I couldn't quite see, but I thought he switched it from his right hand to his left and made a tough layup to win the game. So um, it's ironic because that was a huge point of emphasis in our film session on Thursday morning. Interesting insight from Brownell there talking about the points of emphasis in film study and also some, I guess, vision into Brownell's world of trusting a freshman to make that play at that time. It's been kind of an up and down year for Clemson, but to trust a freshman to make that play at that point, it's pretty significant if you're a Clemson fan. It's pretty significant for Brownell and the future of this team. Before we hear from the Clemson players some thoughts from Leonard Hamilton about the way his team finished the game and about that final layup. Uh, we were very fortunate to even have a one-point lead with six seconds on the shot clock. And once again, uh, the thing that, that hurt us once again is a youngster uh, having the courage and the, the focus to go the length of the floor in six seconds and, and, and score the, the winning basket. Um, we got to bounce back and uh, put ourselves in a position where hopefully we can learn from uh, our shortcomings night, our shortcomings th- th- this afternoon. Congratulations, uh, Clemson, for an outstanding game. And these guys really, really did a great job, uh, the second half, especially the second half. And uh, hope that they have some postseason opportunities available for them um, when the season's over. They played excellent basketball. I uh, hope that they find a way into one of the tournaments and they're going to be a tough opponent for anyone who's facing them as they continue to seem to do they're getting better and better as the season winds down. Coach Hamilton there complimenting Clemson and well-deserved. I like the way he looks at everything as a potential learning experience. And if you're a great coach, that's how you see these things. You can't let one loss become two. You can't let Clemson beat you twice if you want to use old coaching parlance. But the fact that he has the correct perspective on this was enlightening to hear. Let's hear next from Alamir Dawes and what went through his mind as he made that bucket because that might have been the biggest bucket he's made thus far. Actually, I don't think there's any might to it. It pretty much was the biggest bucket he's made thus far. Here's Alamir Dawes. Alamir, what was going through your head during that shot? Um, Really, it was just... I just had, it was like a heartbeating moment uh, in the timeouts. Coach was like, hey, if they score this last one, just focus on getting the ball out and making a play for the team. So through my head, I was like, I'm going to just get it and go. <laughs> and the outcome is going to be the outcome, and that's what happened. So I'm very, I'm very excited for it. Kind of crazy to hear a freshman talk with that much clarity and that much confidence. But Alamir Dawes has developed into that kind of player. And the coast-to-coast layup wins a game. John Newman III also commented on something that Tim Beret brought up, indirectly anyway. We've talked to you about Tim Beret on this program, but he mentions that Clemson is the only team in the nation with three wins over top six teams at the time of the game. Clemson defeated number three Duke, number five Louisville, number six FSU. Louisville and Kentucky are the only teams with two top six wins. Now sure, that's not going to get you a top four seed based on the way Clemson has played this year, but an interesting item, and when they start looking at postseason, that will probably play a little bit into it. John Newman III on Clemson, they're being giant killers, especially at home. What is it about being able to play these top-ranked teams at home and uh, like turn into these uh, giant killers? What is it about that? 
Um, I think it's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's, I think it's a part of our our maturity. Um, you know, saying we got to grow more as a team and be more mature and win the games that we're supposed to win. But whenever we come here, I think we have a little bit more juice and a little bit more excitement when we're playing these top teams. And I really, uh, I think it shows. Little John Coliseum does provide a pretty interesting home court advantage for Clemson. And again, that's not going to be enough to push them over the top and, you know, get them a top four seed or anything like that. Can't really deny the impact that Clemson's crowd has had at home. Something else significant, when you start looking at the statistics of this game, Clemson finished by hitting seven of its final seven shots. When you're trying to win a game, when you're trying to beat a team of Florida State's quality, when you hit seven of seven to close the game, that'll help. Florida State got three double-digit scores. Devin Vassell, 14. He was 6 of 11 from the field. Also had seven boards. Forrest and Osborne added 11 apiece. Eight boards for Osborne, four for Forrest. That depth again for Florida State was big. Just couldn't get that final basket to keep from going in. Clemson had just two double-digit scores. Dawes and Newman the third, both with 18. Dawes, 8 of 18 from the field, 2 of 9 from 3. He dished four dimes. Newman, 6 of 13 from the field, 5 of 6 from the line. Clemson shot 48.2%. They gave up 50% to Florida State. They shot 48.2%, just 6 of 20 from 3, 10 of 19 from the line. So as much as the 7 of 7 at the end of the game helped, at 10 of 19 from the line, not exactly great either. Of course, Florida State, they were just 11 of 18 from the line. They were 9 of 14 in the second half. Clemson, 7 of 14 in the second half. Again, to channel Tony Patelis, free throws are free, just saying. Big win for Clemson, and again, we don't know what that's going to do as far as impacting their postseason. They still have some pretty big hills to climb. And to me, I think they've got to win at least two games in the ACC tournament to even be considered for the NCAA. But they are at least trying to get their name back in the conversation. It's a tough hill, but still possible. Two games down, many more to go. We'll break down the remainder of those games in segment three of Locked on ACC. That comes at you right after this quick break. You are listening to Locked on ACC. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Locked on ACC. March 2nd, 2020. We've broken down two of the ACC games over the weekend, and we still have quite a few more we need to get to. So we're going to do these in kind of rapid-fire fashion. This is unlike the way we usually do these, but I wanted to take a second and break down all of these games because they all deserve attention. So grab onto something, buckle your seatbelt, and we'll take a spin around the ACC from this weekend. NC State beat Pitt 77-73 on Saturday. Pitt falls to 15-15. They are 6-13 in the ACC. Again, they need to do something to try and bolster their postseason case. NC State 18-11, 9-9. Pitt with four double-digit scorers. Audis Tony had 24 for the Panthers, 9-13 of from the field, 4-4 four of four from the line, also hauled in five boards and dished an assist. Recorded two steals as well. Xavier Johnson, 13 for the Panthers. Played 39 minutes. He was 5 of 14 to go along with those 13 for Johnson. 10 for Champagny and Eric Hamilton. Hamilton, 6 of 11 from the line. Also added 
10 boards to record a double-double for the Panthers off the pine in 20 minutes. Pitt, 47.3% from the field, 26 of 55. They shot 42.9 from three, 6 of 14. But here's the big one. From the line, 15 of 27 for Pitt, just 55.6%. When you start looking at where you need to improve to win games, you start looking at those game-winning plays as Charlotte coach Ron Sanchez said to us yesterday after his team lost to Florida International, free throws are game-winning plays. You don't like to miss any of them, but if you do, you can miss a couple. You can't miss 12 free throws in a four-point game. Pitt with 36 points in the paint, 21 points off of 17 state turnovers, 15 on putbacks, 15 in transition, 17 off the pine. For state, they also had four double-digit scorers. C.J. Bryce, 16, eight boards, just five of 15 from the floor, but still a big day for Bryce. Also 16 for Jericho Helms, six of six from the field in 17 minutes of play. D.J. Funderburk, 14 on five of nine, also seven boards and a double-double for Manny Bates, 13 points, 10 boards. State, 45.6% from the field, 26 of 57, just 22.7 from three, five of 22 and 74.1 from the line, 20 of 27. 40 in the paint for the pack, 15 off turnovers, 8 on putbacks, 13 in transition, and 21 off the pine in a four-point victory for NC State. Carolina goes to the Carrier Dome and throttles Syracuse. Pretty tough to argue against that being the biggest game of the year for Carolina in terms of just what they got on the floor. Three double-digit scores for the Tar Heels. Big day for Garrison Brooks. 26 points, 14 boards. He was 9 of 14 from the field, 8 of 8 from the line. Cole Anthony right behind him, 25. He was 8 of 13 from the field, 7 of 11 from 3. Anthony also dished 7 helpers in that game. Christian Keeling also in double figures. He had 18, played 27 minutes off the bench. He was 7 of 11 from the field, was Keeling. Carolina shot 51.6%. They were 33 of 64, 42 Plus, from three, they were 11 of 26 and 15 of 17 from the line. They were 88.2% from the stripe. 32 in the paint, 15 off miscues for Carolina. 22 points on putbacks. They had 13 offensive boards, 11 in transition, 24 off the pine. Syracuse put three players in doubles. Buddy Bayheim with 22. He was 9 of 17. Elijah Hughes, 19. 5 of 16 from the field for Hughes. And another double-double for Sidibe, 17 and 15. He was 5 of 6 from the field, 7 of 8 from the line. Of those 15 boards, 5 offensive. Syracuse, 44.4% from the field. They were 28 of 63, 6 of 24 from 3, 25%. 17 of 19, 88.5 from the line. 38 in the paint for Syracuse, just 6 off turnovers. 10 on putbacks, 10 in transition, and 6 off the pine for the Orange. Syracuse also in a little bit of trouble right now, 16-13, and 9-9 and nine in the ACC. They, again, probably have to win two games. That's a tough road to hoe for the Orange. But we'll see if they can get that done. Wake Forest, get this. Our buddy Chris Stiles had this stat. I, I couldn't believe it. This is the first time Wake Forest has won back-to-back ACC games since March of 2017. Wake victorious over Notre Dame, 84-73 on Saturday. A big day. For Wake, 41-30 lead at the half. 
kept that advantage through the second half. Wake creeping up. They're 13 and 15, 6 and 12 in the ACC. Not saying they'll get anywhere, but they're creeping up. John Mooney, 24 and 17 for Notre Dame in 38 minutes. He was 10 of 22 from the field. Six of those 17 boards offensive. He was joined in doubles by Nate Leshesky, who had 15. Played 27 minutes off the bench, 4 of 10 from the field. Just 1 of 5 from 3, but 6 of 8 from the line. He also snagged 4 boards, did Nate Leshesky. TJ Gibbs, 11 in 35 minutes. He was 4 of 11 from the field. And Dane Goodwin had 10, also off the bench. He was 3 of 7 in 24 minutes. Notre Dame, 26 of 65 from the field, 40%. 6 of 22 from 3, a little over 27 15 of 24, another team with foul woes, 62.5%. 26 in the paint for Notre Dame, 8 off of turnovers, 10 putbacks, 6 in transition, and 25 off the pine. Olivier Saar continues his incredible effort of late. 30 points for Saar, 17 rebounds. A big-time double-double for Saar. He was 12 of 16 from the field, Six of seven from the line. Olivier Sars coming on. Shondi Brown joined him in double figures. He had 15 and 33 minutes, four of 10 from the field. He had 10 boards. And Brandon Childress, 14 points on four of seven for the Deeks. Wake shot 46.6%, 27 of 58 from the field, seven of 15 from three, 46.7, and 23 of 27 from the line, a little over 85%. 26 in the paint for the Deeks, 4 off of turnovers, 11 on putbacks, 11 in transition, and 10 off the pine for Wake Forest. We talked earlier about Georgia Tech. They beat Miami this weekend 63-57. Fairly significant game for the Yellow Jackets, despite now not having anywhere to play in the postseason. They finished on an 8-0 run and turned a 57-55 deficit into a 63-57 victory. Jose Alvarado, 16 points for the Jackets, 7 of 15 from the field, although he did shoot just 1 of 6 from 3. Michael DeVoe, 14. James Banks, the third, 13 for the Jackets. Georgia Tech shot just 40% from the field. They were just 15 plus percent from 3, 2 of 13, and 13 of 22 from the line, 59.1% for Georgia Tech. Two double-figure scorers for Miami, Chris Likes, 14 He was 5 of 13 from the field, 5 boards for likes. And Cameron Mugusty, 11 points, 5 of 10 from the field. He hauled in 5 boards himself. Miami, 34.5% in the second half on the way to a 36.7% shooting day. They were 2 of 17 from 3, just 11.8%, and 11 of 16 from the line. Just a rough game to watch, an ugly game. Georgia Tech out-rebounded Miami by 15, 48-33. Also a pretty significant offensive rebounding advantage as well, as you might imagine. Georgia Tech conveyed that offensive rebounding advantage into a 12-6 advantage in putbacks. Not an oil painting, but a win nonetheless for Georgia Tech, and they'll take it. And finally, yesterday, Louisville 68-52 winners over Virginia Tech. Game that was knotted at the half at 27. Louisville kind of took off in the second half. They ran their record to 24-6 overall, 15-4 in the ACC. Jalen Cohn with 15 for the Hokies, 5 of 12 from the field, all five of those makes on 10 tries from three. Naheem Aline, 12 for the Hokies. Tech shot just 38% from the field. That kind of got shown in the second half. They were 
little over 34% in the second half. 33.3 from three. They were 10 of 30. Got to the line just six times. They hit four of those. 66.7%. 12 in the paint, 11 off of turnovers. Just two second chance points for Tech. Nothing in transition and 28 off the pine. For Louisville, Jordan Wara, back to his old shenanigans, 20 points, 20 boards. For Wara, he was 8 of 16 in 36 minutes. Didn't do much from 3, didn't really matter. He was 2 of 8. But those 12 boards helped propel Louisville to 40 boards. Any significant advantage for them on the glass. Ryan McMahon joined him. He had 10. He was 4 of 6 in 23 minutes. McMahon dished out three assists as well. David Johnson actually led the Cardinals in assists. He had six assists to go along with his eight points. Louisville, 45.6% from the field. They were 26 of 57. 30% from three, six of 20, and 10 of 15 from the line, 66.7. 32 in the paint for Louisville, 19 off turnovers. That's pretty large. 13 on putbacks, six in transition, and 17 off the pine for the Cards. Just one game tonight as we look around the ACC landscape. Pretty significant game, however. NC State at Duke. 7 o'clock ESPN. Duke minus 12 tonight against the Wolfpack. We'll break that game down tomorrow. Also, as I mentioned, a lot of things that Coach K had to say over the weekend, some of them we shared with you earlier, but there's something else that he talked about that I want to get into a little more detail around, and uh, we'll share that on tomorrow's program. Also, Give you the women's ACC tournament bracket. We'll talk about that tomorrow and much, much more. And again, if you have anything you want to share on the program or maybe have yourself heard, at LockedOnACC on Twitter, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. Again, if you want to send us a voice memo, keep it clean, keep it short, keep it of value. We'd love to hear your voice right here on this program. That will wind down, however, today's Locked On ACC for March 2nd, 2020. I'm Brian Wilmer. Thanks for joining us. See you back here tomorrow, same time, same place. And remember, tweet us, email us. Tell your friends, tell your senators, tell your neighbors, tell everybody. See you tomorrow on Locked on ACC. Love you. Mean it. <laughs>